don't know why I've got that, that there. <laughs> no slides today. I was going to do slides. Run out of time, sorry. Good to see you all this morning. Um, if you haven't got a Bible with you this morning, you probably want to have a Bible. Just stick your hand up. There's already three in Phil's hands in anticipation of Bible needs. Wisdom. Great thing. Don't know where you get your wisdom from. Hopefully a little bit from the Bible. Maybe, um, I don't know, if you're a scientist or something, you get your wisdom from various studies or things that have gone on in the past. Um, my eldest daughter came across a quote from Albert Einstein this week. It says this, There are only two things that are infinite. The universe and human stupidity. But I'm not so sure about the universe, says Albert Einstein. He's obviously convinced that there is an infinity related to human stupidity. So maybe it is right um, that we have this series on wisdom. Maybe it is right uh, that we spend a little bit of time. And as uh, I said, last week uh, we started the series, and I just want to draw on a couple of principles right at the start that Darren uh, drew out of the passages that he had uh, last week. First, a couple of Proverbs, really. First, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. You will find as we go through the rest of the series, you can underpin everything with that verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And then Proverbs 3, 5, perhaps one of the most famous Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. As Darren says, we're looking at family life. I was uh, discussing this in the car on the way here um, because it suddenly dawned on my family that I might be using one or two anecdotes that relate to them. So they wanted some forewarning. And it also dawned on me that um, if you add up the ages of my children, you get to 50. So in theory, between myself and Julia, we have a hundred years of experience in parenting. But I tell you this, it means nothing. It is something that every day, and it's not because my children are particularly challenging, they're not, but every day I realize that actually it is one of the most difficult jobs that you can be given. So for those of you with babies and young children, enjoy the next however many years uh, that you have before you. Then, of course, I've been married for 22 years, it turns out. I did think about it and check it up. Yep, 22 years of marriage. That doesn't make me the world's best husband. So as I bring these things to you, just be aware that standing before you is the man that forgot his wife one day and almost left without her um, we were at a home group. It hadn't been going too well, the home group, and it would have been a bad day. I don't quite remember the exact detail, but I'd, uh, there was a guy there that was um, saying one or two things that I just didn't agree with, and I couldn't cope with it anymore, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave. And I got up, and I gave my apologies to the host, and I said, I can't, I, this evening I'm going to leave it. I jumped in the car and went to drive off when I realized my wife was still in the meeting. And uh, she then apologized for me as well and came out of the meeting and her words were, did you forget you were married? (laughs) (laughs) 
So I stand before you a failure. So let's learn together. Let's turn to God's word. And we're going to turn to Ephesians 5. Um, If you've got a church Bible, it's page 1176, apparently. If not, uh, it's kind of there. (laughs) My Bible, it's 1083. Um, Okay, so Ephesians 5, uh, starting at verse 21. My Bible is headed up, Instruction for Christian Households. Let's read this together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of, with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife lo- loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they too will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is a first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Before we get uh, headlong into that passage, which might be quite a familiar passage to one or two of us, I just want to put it into a slight piece of context and read a few verses before that passage. Just, Just get back to your Bibles in verse 15. It says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I read that part of the passage? Well, because without reading that part of the passage, we don't understand the context that the second part comes from. And in fact, in our modern translations, where you get that full stop at the end of verse 20 there, and then a big heading in my Bible that says instructions for Christian households, and then into verse 20, submit to one another, none of that's there. There is no heading, there is no break. In fact, the flow continues. And the reason the flow continues is because there's a principle here that underpins everything about Christian living. And that is this. Christian family life is the work of God's Spirit. You see, if we read that uh, passage from verse 15 onwards, if we look at um, what we have there that puts it into the context of being full of the Spirit, you find that all of what follows is actually the outcoming of that very fact. It says here, instead be filled with the Spirit. What happens? It means that we end up speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. We're singing and making music from our hearts to the Lord. We are always giving thanks. So we are singing. We are giving. And then, for some strange reason in our modern translations, you get to this instruction, submit to one another. Whereas actually it isn't a submit, it is a submitting. It is the outpouring of what is happening with God's Spirit being in us. The word is not an instruction so much as a... Um, and it, it, it's, it's the... Um, I can't think what the... A grammatical term is, it will come to me in a minute, but it's, it's essentially, what are, we, what are we doing because of the fact the work of the Spirit is in us? We're doing all of these things. So everything we look, about, look at in this passage comes back to that underlying context that it's the effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that includes verse 22. When it says, wives, submit to your husbands... Actually, that passage is wrong as well. <laughs> in, the early, in the actual, trans, if you translate it literally, it's wives to your own husbands. It just follows on from what was there before. So there's no, you must do this. It is, in effect, taking the result of being filled with the Spirit is this will happen. Wives to your own husbands. Then we get into um, understanding the passage better. So if we are filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their own husbands as to the Lord, what happens when we start to unpack the rest of the verses? What happens when we start to look at what the relationship should be like between husband and wife? It all comes back to the understanding that we're submitting to each other in reverence to Christ. When it comes to obedience to children and the nurturing of those children by their parents, it's submitting to each other in reverence to Christ. When it comes to servants and masters, it's in reverence to Christ. Paul here is setting out how to apply what should normally happen in a Christian household to a typical household of the day. 
husbands, wives, children, and slaves. Now, just for a moment, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on slaves, as I don't know if any of you have any slaves in your household. But it is worth noting that you probably might have a window cleaner. Okay? You might have somebody that comes around and fixes the boiler. You might have somebody that comes and does the garden. Now, you don't see them as a slave, but your attitude to them, and if they are a Christian, their attitude to you should be in reverence to Christ. That's what the teaching says. But we're going to look and focus on this morning a little bit about relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children. Also, let me, under- let me um, share this with you just before we carry on. You might be sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm not married. Or you might be sitting here thinking, I don't have any children. That doesn't mean that these passages don't apply to you because the same principles exist. The same understanding of doing everything in it as you would in submittance to Christ. So, how do we apply this to everyday life? Jesus said in, and you find this in John 16, verse 14, when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. When the Spirit reigns in your life, you will do everything in a view to honouring Christ. Jesus becomes the foundation and focus and goal of family, and the life at home is therefore transformed. So let's have a little look about husbands, and then a little look about wives, and then we'll come on to those things we call children, and we'll deal with those. They're the most difficult ones. So for husbands, husbands should be filled with the Holy Spirit, eager to exalt Jesus Christ, and therefore ready to conform to their leadership to Christ. Now this is the interesting thing. Some people look at this passage and they go, oh dear, wives have got to obey their husbands, that's hard work. But actually I think the biggest challenge is for us men. We have to love our wives, now that's an easy bit. Loving your wife is the easy bit. But, we have to conform to the leadership of Christ. So we have to love our wives in the same way that Christ leads the church. That's a bit more of a challenge. How do we do that? Well, firstly, there's some principles to understand about Jesus' leadership. Let me use a couple of examples. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, did he cease to be a leader of those disciples? No. When Jesus was on the cross, the weakest of the weak for the sake of his bride, the church, did he cease to be the head of that church? No. Loving our wives as Christ loves the church is quite a tall order. It raises the bar somewhat, and bunches of flowers don't quite meet it. We have to love our wives in a way that is servant-hearted, a way that goes to the very last, the way that we would lay down our lives for them. If we think as husband the role requires us to be domineering, 
if we think that we should be demanding attitude towards our wives, then we should think again. Loving your wife as Christ loves the church is tough, and it can only be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why underpinning all of this is the understanding that Christian family life is the work of God's Spirit. Just as the husbands sit back and think for a moment, but don't close your ears, husbands, because there's one or two things to learn from the wives' side of the equation here. Let's look at the wives in verse uh, 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord. If you are filled with the Spirit and accept the Lord as your Christ and Saviour, then you will be subject to your husband as to the Lord. The key phrase there is as to the Lord. That is what holds the key to understanding this passage for you wives and for our hus- us husbands as we also think about how the wives have to take on board this passage. You see, that phrase, as to the Lord, has two implications. The first is this. The number one priority, wives, in your life is to Jesus Christ, not to your husband. The absolute number one top priority, it comes higher than any other responsibility. Any other allegiance you might have will be therefore guided by the will of Christ in your life. Everything else is second. Christ first, that directs what comes second. The second implication is your allegiance to your husband. But a wife's This is interesting. Submission to her husband may vary according to the quality of a husband's leadership. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say you've got the best husband in the world, just for a moment. Imagine that. He is therefore a man of God. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And you can rejoice in that and wholeheartedly support him. Unfortunately, just to burst your little bubble for a moment, I haven't found that man yet, and I don't think you found him either. doesn't matter how godly we are, husbands, we sometimes get it. Sometimes we might make decisions that may not be entirely biblical. So what should the wife do? Sit there in obedient silence and not say anything? Well, of course not. Because you're there to support your husband. You're there to build him up. You're there to encourage him. And also, and my wife has done this on one or two occasions, because guess what? I am not the perfect husband. Point out the errors of my ways that I might not stumble and make myself look a complete fool. So in the spirit of perhaps meekness. And for the sake of the husband, it is perhaps right to say, you sure? We are not infallible. Neither should we be hostile to correction. And actually I believe it is very important for both the husband and the wife to be involved in the upbringing of children. We'll come to children in a minute. Now, it hasn't escaped my notice, and I'm very much aware 
that your circumstances might not be absolutely ideal. It may not be that you're married to somebody who is also a Christian. Therefore, this passage can sometimes be a little bit more difficult to understand. How do you deal with a husband who isn't a Christian? I'm going to share a little example in a minute, but before I do that, I'm going to read a passage that just extends this teaching a little bit, and you'll find it in 1 Peter 3 and verses 1 to 5. And I'm just going to read this because I think this is helpful, and then I'm going to share a true life story. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold, jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. The point is this. The instruction doesn't change, but you have to remember your allegiance first is to Christ. We have known several couples in the last few years that have struggled because of this issue, particularly wives with unsaved husbands. And all I can do is um, say that in every case, and not all of them have come to any sort of fruition, but in every case, the answer is prayer. And I know, wives, if you're here without a saved husband you probably do that more than anything else. What's important for the rest of us to understand is we should be alongside you and praying for that as well. And my prayer for you is uh, for your husband. But it won't happen by preaching to him. It will only happen by the work of the Spirit shown through your life, touching his life. Back in Maidstone where we perhaps the first half of our married life. I can't remember how many years we were there and how many years we've been here now. There was a couple called Neil and Kate. They had two boys. Still have two boys. Um, Kate (coughs) headed up the equivalent of Frog Squad. She worked with Julia. And um, Julia and Kate are really great friends. Kate grew up in a Christian family. um, Kate's dad was the vicar. And Kate went away from Christian life for a while, and she met Neil. Neil was a sub-mariner. He then decided to leave the the Navy, and he joined the police. And Kate and Neil were both working at the police together, and that's where they met. They fell in love, they had children, and then Kate realized that she was missing the most important thing in her life, and that was Jesus. And she came back and recommitted her life to Jesus. She spent every day praying for Neil. A couple of years ago, uh, Neil became a Christian. We weren't around. We don't understand the circumstances. But when we revisited a few months ago, 
There is a completely different family. We must pray for the unsaved husbands because it makes a huge difference in family life to have the principle of the head of the family being full of God's spirit. You would never think Neil was the same man. Makes me a bit emotional. (laughs) But that's how important it is to each of us, really. That brings us on to children, because actually one of the biggest things we noticed was the change in the life of the children. You see, Kate would bring the children to church, but the issue was, but Daddy's not coming. Or Daddy would come occasionally because he would want to support Kate. But actually he was coming because he felt that he ought to, not because he wanted to. And the whole family changed. The children changed, and particularly those young boys changed, when Daddy became a Christian. Let's look at what the passage we were reading earlier says about family life. It's going to read one verse, verse 4 from chapter 6. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The exasperation bit gets most used in my house more than any other verse in the Bible. I'm pretty good at winding my daughters up. I don't quite know where the line is between just gently winding them up, having a good time, and exasperating them. But I think that speaks for itself. The two words I want to concentrate on here are these. Train and instruct, or train and teach, to teach is to give instruction. What is it to train? What is it to train a child? Well, here are my thoughts. To train is to give guidance, to set standards, to put in place boundaries. But here's the tricky bit as a parent. We have to make sure that we also follow that guidance and keep ourselves to those standards. I can't remember any, but I'm sure there have been occasions when my children have turned to me and said, but Dad, you do And it's then that I realize that I've fallen short of what a father should be. Children learn best by following the patterns of your behavior and your example. That is what the train element is about. But then there's the teach, the instruction side of this. And there is a lot of wisdom to be gained from what we have in the Bible. And it is important for us as parents to ensure that our children understand the Bible. Let me just read to you a verse from Deuteronomy that really uh, brings it home, except for the fact I've lost my bookmark. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Starting at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is the key verse. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
That's a challenge as a parent, as a Christian parent of a Christian household. These instructions aren't just right now when squad's happening and we cannot, as parents, delegate the responsibility of bringing our children up in the word to the people that are doing an excellent job up the corridor right now. So how do we improve on that? Well, I would challenge you, and we try and do this, and we don't always uh, manage to do this. I have to tell you, we're not the world's best parents. But when your children come back and you're at the lunch table or perhaps in the car on the way home this afternoon, ask them, what did they learn today in Frog Squad? What was the thing that they didn't know before they ended up in Frog Squad? Tell them what you learnt today. (laughs) Talk about these things. Understand what it is to be a Christian in a Christian household. When they're at school and they come home with difficulties and you know it's perhaps because of their faith that those difficulties exist, sit alongside them and say, yeah, this is hard, I've been there. But try and draw on the word to encourage and to support and to give them the grounding that they need. While we think about children, I just want to pick up, we were talking wisdom and talking proverbs. Just want to pick up perhaps one of the most misquoted and misused proverb ever that relates to children. You know the one. Spoil, spare the rod and spoil the child. Comes as it happens from the Bible. It's not just something that people just say, but it's one of those almost common things that um, people use in, well, particularly East Enders and things. <laughs> spare the rod and spoil the child. Let me read the verses in Proverbs. It's Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are careful to discipline them. Now, that verse has been misused for all sorts of reasons, even by Christians in past years. And actually, it's one of those verses that you might turn around and say, ah, that was for then. We're more modern today. We don't, we don't use rods with our children. Except I actually think that this verse is the most important thing to understand in bringing up children. So the wisdom from this verse must not be lost. You see, the issue is the rod. The issue is that we don't understand the context that this rod is. This isn't a rod that's used to beat our children at all. In fact, the Hebrew is Shabbat. It is the rod held by a shepherd to look after his sheep. And apparently, there are five ways that a shepherd will use the Shabbat to look after his sheep. And they are these. Number one, to guide the sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but sheep and children are quite similar. Sometimes they do need to be told where to go or where not to go. Sometimes we have to set boundaries. That's the second way that the rod is used by a shepherd. Apparently, it can be very accurately thrown, not at the sheep, beyond the sheep to scare the sheep back towards you. Sometimes we have to say, no. I didn't think of this story before, so I haven't shared this in the car. But when we, were, um, when we first had children, and um, we were in a, 
a terrace house, and soon we realised we needed a bigger house. And we moved to a house that had an open fire. It was beautiful. Autumn, afternoons, go for a walk, come back, light the fire, nice open fire. But we refused to have one of those ugly, huge fire guard things defending the fire because we simply taught Naomi, particularly, that there was a certain boundary to understand that if you put your hand in the fire, it's going to hurt. Uh, She learnt. (laughs) She didn't actually burn herself. But she learnt because she realised that if she got close to the fire, we would get quite upset. Sometimes we have to set boundaries for our children, and that is the reason why we have the rod. Not to hit them, but to place beyond them, to scare them away from the dangerous things. Sometimes the shepherd has to protect his sheep from predators. (laughs) I have three daughters. (laughs) No, let's not go there. Wolves and so forth. Sometimes we might have to defend our children. The other reason they would use the rod is they would count the sheep in at night. They would count the sheep under the rod. don't know how many children you've got. I actually need a rod to count to three. But it's right to keep account of where our children are and what they're doing. And in today's modern culture, one of the biggest challenges is understanding and counting what they're doing online, which is quite a scary thing. Lastly, it's used to part the wool in order to examine the sheep for disease. We use the rod to look after our children and to care for their health. That might be their physical health, that might be their spiritual health, a kind of spiritual knit comb that gets to the roots of where things might be going wrong and understanding what they need. We're running out of time. But you see the principles here. The principles are that in order for a family life, in order, as Paul sets out before us, these guidance for Christian households, in order for it to be happy families, we need the work of the Spirit. We need, therefore, as individuals, submit ourselves entirely to Christ. That is our first responsibility. If we get that right, everything else falls into place. Just want to end on a verse in Romans. A couple of verses in Romans. Romans 14. It's talking here about... Um, what is it talking about? <laughs> it's talking about how we live for Christ. Verse 8 says this, If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whatever we do, live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You may be here uh, this morning 
and you might be thinking this is all great, this is wonderful, and um, you know, I understand now that rod bit, that's lovely. But you may not have a relationship with Christ. Christ died that you may be given a life to live and a life to the full. If you don't understand that, if you don't if you haven't had that opportunity to accept that and understand that, then my biggest challenge to you this morning is to do just that. To understand that Christ has died for you. To understand that that's what he did it for. Nothing else but for you. That you may be able to live. That you may then be able to have your life transformed by the work of his spirit. And that will make a difference to all of your family and all of your living. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your instruction. Lord, we struggle sometimes to get to grips of it. We fell so many times. Lord, I pray by your spirit that you may, in our lives, begin a new work. Give us a fresh understanding of our responsibilities as husbands, responsibilities as wives, our responsibilities as parents. Lord, we pray particularly this morning for those of us here who are married to those that are not yours. Those that have not had the opportunity to accept you into their lives. Lord, we stand alongside them and we pray for them and their relationship. Help them, Lord, to understand how it is that every day should be lived out with you as their priority, but also having to love the husband that doesn't love you or the wife that doesn't love you. Lord, for those husbands and those wives that do not know you, we lift them before you. By a work of your spirit, Lord, we pray that you will touch them. You will transform them. And Lord, through all of this, that you will begin to transform the families here at Abbey Church in a way that, I mean, they're not bad in any way. But Lord, with your love and your spirit and your guidance, how amazing it could be. Father, we thank you for the work of Frog Squad and we thank you for the, uh, the work of those teachers there and for Faith and for the youth workers as well. For all the time and the effort of instruction, Lord, forgive us when we do not continue that at home. Help us to understand that, I pray. Give us the wisdom that we need to live godly lives, to set examples to our children. And Lord, as families in this community, I pray that we will start to really shine your light through your spirit working in our lives. That there may be a revival, perhaps, in this area. Because of the principles that you've laid down in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.